Hello and welcome to The Alcohol File, a podcast series that explores how we can better understand the impact of alcohol in our lives. This podcast is provided by Alcohol Action, Ireland's leading independent advocate for reducing alcohol harm. I'm your host, Una McKinney, and today, along with our guests, we will explore the detail of the Health Research Board's latest research on alcohol use, harm and policy in Ireland. The Health Research Board is the leading agency in Ireland supporting and funding health research. In 2012, the National Substance Misuse Strategy recommended that the Health Research Board act as a joint lead to collect information on the appropriate alcohol epidemiological indicators. To achieve this goal, the HRB periodically publishes overviews on the alcohol situation in Ireland. And this is the fourth overview undertaken with the previous edition having been published in 2016. I'm delighted to be joined by two of its lead authors, Dr. Deirdre Mungan and Anne Doyle, research officers within the HRB's National Drugs and Alcohol Strategies team. So to begin our discussion, perhaps Deirdre, we can begin with you. And I just really want to compliment you and the team on on what is a really, really excellent report. I think what what this report does yet again is that it provides a really important catalyst to what is a um, a national conversation around the challenges we face with alcohol. And I think it, it really provides policymakers and, and media a very comprehensive overview of the, uh, the the scale of the challenges that we have. And so it's, it's, it's a really timely report and, 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 as I say, a really excellent report. So maybe it, just to begin and to give our listeners an opportunity to understand, maybe you could just outline what is the scope of the, of the report and what's the purpose of the report and like, give some sense of, of, of the overview intended. Okay, well, as you said, it is basically an overview of the alcohol situation in Ireland. And more specifically, in our overviews, we look at the level of alcohol consumption in Ireland, which is an important indicator because the more a country drinks, the more likely they are to um, experience alcohol-related harm. We also provide data on patterns of alcohol use. While the volume of alcohol consumed is an important indicator, how we actually drink alcohol is just as important and to look at, particularly if you're looking at problematic patterns of drinking, such as binge drinking, they cause a lot more harm than drinking um, over more, you know. On a kind of a normal pattern. Yes. And then we also want to look at, well, what impact does this have in relation to harms and what harms are caused as a result of our alcohol use? And specifically, we look at health harms in terms of the hospitalizations that arise in Ireland due to alcohol use, the number of deaths and the causes of these deaths among people um, that are alcohol related. We also um, look at other published um, literature in relation to alcohol harm. So in this overview, um, we have a substantial section on sexual assault simply because in the last five years, a lot of work has been done in this area. Um, we also report data on um, our treatment figures right, yeah. we, and self-harm figures. So that's just a flavour of the type of data that's in this report. Mm. Yeah, and of course, obviously, in that context, like 
alcohol as it pervades so much of our society, it, it does actually influence hu a huge number of things within the broader socioeconomic landscape. Uh, so, of course, it's going to reflect all of that. Uh, so just talk us through some of the general trends that are specifically in relation to just our alcohol use as a country and you know how do we measure how do we measure this sort of because people often wonder you know sometimes we talk about liters and talk sometimes we talk about binge drinking so how do we how do we measure how does the hrb actually measure the level of alcohol use in the country and and what 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 in the context of that is 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 the most appropriate thing to be doing if you are using alcohol so at a national level we report per capita consumption and that is basically we we count up all the alcohol that is sold in Ireland in a given year. So we get these figures from revenue and these figures represent the volume of alcoholic beverages released from warehousing and where excise duty has been paid. And these, this is a very consistent way of looking at it because it's done the same way each year. It's all the alcohol that excise duty is paid on. And we divide the all that alcohol by the population aged 15 and over. And the reason we take a cut off of 15 is, for the most part, people or children under the age of 15 don't drink. And they start increasingly start to drink once they reach 15, 16, 17 years of age. And while this gives a very good sense of the average alcohol that is consumed and is, it enables us to you know, make comparisons with other countries, uh, it does have its limitations in that it doesn't take a... It assumes that everyone that consumes alcohol or uses alcohol in the same way. So in 2019, uh, latest year we have, we have presented here, there was 10.8 litres of alcohol consumed per person aged 15 and over in Ireland. And I know 10.8 litres of pure alcohol doesn't mean a lot to most people. But to put that in context, that would mean that in that year, every person aged 15 and over consumed the equivalent of either 40 bottles of vodka, 113 bottles of wine, or 436 pints of beer. But in Ireland, you may not be aware, even though we have a lot of alcohol use problems, quite a high proportion of the population doesn't drink alcohol at all. Our survey data consistently shows that about one in four people abstain from alcohol. So when we're calculating these figures, it's important to remember that the people that actually do drink are probably drinking a lot more than the 40 bottles of vodka each. So if we were to even remove those abstainers from our calculation, we could estimate that the typical drinker in Ireland on average drinks um, the equivalent of 53 bottles of vodka or 149 bottles of wine in a given year. And in terms of the, uh, the sort of engagement of alcohol, you talk in the report about the idea of, of low-risk uh, alcohol consumption. Can you just maybe elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah, and the, I suppose the first thing... I should state is that it's important to call it low risk. We often hear people talk about safe levels of alcohol use or moderate or use, but it's important to note that there's no level of alcohol use that is without risk. So even though you may be at lower risk, there still is risk associated with um, alcohol. Um, the HSE have published guidelines in relation to low risk drinking and their guidelines state that a woman should not drink more than 11 standard drinks in a week and men should not drink more than 17 standard drinks in a week. It's, and what's just as important is how we drink or use drink consume this alcohol across a week. So it's very important to spread alcohol use across a number of days and have at least two or three alcohol-free days. So 
just to put that in context, uh, 11 standard drinks would be roughly about a bottle and a half of wine. Um, 17 standard drinks would be roughly around eight pints of beer. Okay, so that's a, that, that, that's a great overview to give people a sense of what, what the, the, the scope of the report is. And maybe if we can just add, bring in Anne here now and perhaps maybe we can just elaborate a little bit more on those those patterns of drinking and, and patterns of alcohol use. And there's, there, there, you know, there's, there's a significant amount of data in the report. Obviously, we won't be able to go through it all. But maybe you could just talk to, to a little bit about some of those issues around frequency and uh, the hazardous patterns and you know, what we regard as binge drinking and heavy episodic drinking. Yes, thanks, Eunan. Um, as Deirdre pointed out, it's, um, it's not only how much we drink, but it's our patterns of drinking. So how much we drink in any one sitting and how often we drink. Um, and this is referred to as heavy episodic drinking or binge drinking. And what that means is that it's drinking six standard drinks or more in one sitting. And that equates to about three pints of beer or six pub measures of spirits or six small glasses of wine. And what's important to note is that it's this pattern of drinking, and this is the World Health Organization state this, this is this pattern of drinking is what leads to alcohol related harms. And Ireland uh, features in the top 10 of um, the highest rate of monthly binge drinkers globally. So we were actually number eight in that list. And we also found from the previous report of the Alcohol Diaries back in 2013 that in fact, three quarters of all alcohol consumed is consumed as part of binge drinking sessions. And we also know from our data as well that over half of drinkers in Ireland would be classified as hazardous drinkers. And just maybe just for a minute, if we can, just to kind of clarify for people. So what would you say is how would you distinguish the two between what is a hazardous pattern and what is a heavy episodic drinking? Just to give people a bit of clarity on that, if you can. Yeah, so the heavy episodic drinking is the drinking of six or more standard drinks in one sitting and then the hazardous drinker is taking into account more frequency of drinking plus heavy episodic drinking. So we know that this pattern of drinking means that drinkers are putting themselves at considerable risk of harms like accidents or injuries or alcohol poisoning. And um, we know as well that regular drinking at these levels can lead to chronic conditions such as alcoholic liver disease, pancreatitis or indeed alcohol dependence. And I suppose what's interesting as well is when we're talking about hazardous drinking drinkers, it's clear from the data we've used, Healthy Ireland survey data, it's clear from this data that, in fact, many drinkers don't realise that they're drinking in a hazardous manner and they're perhaps unaware of what constitutes binge drinking because when we looked at the Healthy Ireland survey data where drinkers were asked to classify their own drinking styles and their perceptions of their own drinking the majority of drinkers class themselves as as light drinkers, and even those who said they had they'd they'd stated that they had consumed alcohol in a in a binge drinking style, even those drinkers, a majority of those class themselves as light to moderate drinkers. So to so to, to clarify then for the for our listeners again, the, so using the kind of a WHO screening tool. Uh, in relation to the levels of people's use of alcohol, what, what what this report is demonstrating is that over half, I think it's 52%, 52% of all drinkers in Ireland were classified as hazardous drinkers. Now, that's a that's quite a startling uh, 
presentation of detail there. So moving on from that level of, of alcohol use, I mean, in particular terms, you know, you do an excellent amount of presentation. And again, we don't have time to go into all the details because it provides detail in relation to sex in terms of male and female, but also age cohorts, you know, in terms of four or five different age cohorts. And it's a really fantastic insight into just who it is who's actually consuming some of this level of alcohol. But if we could, if, we, if I could just move on for a little bit to talk about young people in particular, just maybe if you could give us an overview of some of the insights that you you have in particular around the use of alcohol within adolescents and young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so amongst the hazardous drinkers, the majority were young males. So that's obviously a pattern that's continued throughout the years of the data that we have. So in particular to young people, we've quite a, a big section on young people and we've used the Health Behaviours in School Age Children survey. And that found that... have consumed alcohol before the age of 17 years. So these are underage drinkers. And the WHO has identified underage drinking as a global health priority because we know that this period of adolescence is a, a key period of emotional and cognitive development. And teenagers are going through critical social transitions and early alcohol initiation can impact on this and has been shown to increase the, the risk of developing alcohol misuse later in life. And it also increases the likelihood of using other substances and drinking heavily. And I think that's a really, really important point. Sometimes people can sometimes forget that point that, of course, you know, the earlier you start, yeah. the, 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 the likelihood is you, the quicker you will run into trouble. Yeah. And move on to other substances as well, which is also of concern. Mm. So I suppose it's for that reason that the Public Health Alcohol Act is, is fairly specifically aimed at reducing alcohol consumption in children and young people. And we've seen that in the measures that have been commenced um, from the Act, so such as advertising in cinemas and in close proximity to schools or parks and on public transport and alcohol sponsorship of clothing and sports events aimed at children. And this is a a huge positive step because we do know from the research and it's included in the report that there's a lot of alcohol marketing directed at children. So it's important to protect our children from that. Sure. And and in the context of that, I mean, obviously marketing is a you know, we do, we know that that obviously children are exposed to a high level of of marketing in Ireland. But in terms of the, obviously, it, it it's illegal for children to purchase alcohol. So in that context, like where where do we think children are actually procuring this level of alcohol? Yeah, it's interesting because when this report was released, a lot of the the media outlets picked up on the kind of moral panic of children receiving alcohol from their parents. And it definitely was the the majority of children reported that they'd received alcohol from their parents. But what's important to note as well is that actually the majority of the older teenagers, so the kind of 16, maybe 17 year olds, reported getting alcohol from pubs, bars or clubs. So that's where the concern is, because that is um, obviously they're underage and it's illegal to serve them. But also touching on the, the parental provision of alcohol, Again, it's uh, a lot of parents are they feel that it's it's a sort of safer environment to introduce children to alcohol. But um, the evidence tells us otherwise. It's in fact parental provision of alcohol is linked to earlier alcohol initiation, drunkenness, alcohol misuse. And, you know, it has its implications for for children. 
Yeah, there is that suggestion that obviously if, if, if a child is exposed to alcohol in, a, in the home at a certain level, that, you know, that that becomes the standard norm for them in mm. their lives. So when their parents yeah. aren't there, that norm is obviously shifted higher. And that, yeah. that in many cases is what the research, I think, does demonstrate. Mm-hmm. And in terms of other, I mean, there, there's a really, again, terrific level of information in this report for people if they, if they want to download it and, and read it themselves. We'll give the details later. But I was particularly struck by the um, information that you have around um, the use of alcohol in older people as well. And, you know, Ireland does have somewhat of a a growing signature, let's say, demographically around an ageing population. And I felt there was some very interesting uh, observations and and research in relation to the level of use of alcohol amongst older people. Maybe just give us a little flavour of that as well, Anne, could you? Yeah, Um, it's actually quite a small section because... um Older people are often overlooked in research because they they do they they have the most abstainers. So we kind of overlook the fact that actually um, there's a there's a significant cohort of older people who are drinking quite heavily or in a hazardous manner. So again, we looked at the Healthy Ireland survey and we found that there was um, about forty percent of men, particularly over sixty five binge drink on a monthly basis and there's about a third of older male drinkers sorry again are classed as hazardous drinkers and what's important to remember is that as we age it takes our bodies longer to eliminate alcohol from our bodies and uh, we know as well from the tilde study this is the irish longitudinal study on aging they found that a lot of adults older adults continue to drink despite taking medication and this medication would have uh, adverse alcohol um, reactions when the the two are mixed together. So it's putting their health at serious risk. But it is, as I say, that we have that shortage of information on older people, but certainly a cohort that we shouldn't overlook because there are issues there as well. Yeah, and I would imagine that, you know, in time, I mean, you know, research and funding and everything else withstanding, but I'd say there's quite an interesting study to be done in that space around the the alcohol interactions with medications. I think that's a really uh, interesting point. And just, just to conclude this particular section, I mean, I think it's useful to talk a little bit in that context as well about you know sometimes it's a difficult discussion this but alcohol use in pregnancy and um you know we know that there are some fairly significant impacts in relation to to pregnancy in relation to alcohol use would you mind just talking a little bit through some of the findings that you had on that yeah as you say we know that heavy alcohol consumption during pregnancy can lead to adverse pregnancy and into childhood outcomes um, and there, there's limited, again, limited research available, but we used a global study that was published in The Lancet, and that estimated that Ireland had one of the highest, actually the highest rate of consumption during pregnancy in the world at over 60%. That's of huge concern because when we look at, again, limited information, but what we know about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, it's a a disorder that includes a range of physical, mental and neurological deficits, but it's caused by heavy alcohol consumption during pregnancy. And again, we've no um, reliable Irish specific evidence, but global estimates would put Ireland as having the third rate um, globally, the third highest rate globally due to our levels of alcohol consumption. So that's uh, an area, as you say, that tends not to get discussed that much. It's an uncomfortable conversation, but it's it's certainly an issue. Mm. And it does bring up 
<clears throat> at a more bro- broader level, just I suppose the um, the idea that of, of you know the right to know uh, what that risk is and you know how that right to know is 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 afforded people and how that information is communicated to people. But we can come back to that. I mean, that's more of a uh, an issue, perhaps relating to as you say some of the measures within the the uh, the Public Health Alcohol Act. Um, Deirdre, if I could, can I bring you just back in, if possibly, and maybe we can move on just to talk a little bit about, obviously, you know, moving from Anne's point about about the potential level of of the frequency and such, but obviously that has the real impact here is 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 the alcohol related harms to your health. Um, and if we could maybe just talk a little bit about this this particular category, this this section of the report, which again is really really f- fantastic information and. In there, you you know you you make it the distinction, or the report makes the distinction between what are wholly alcohol attributable conditions and partially alcohol attributable conditions. And I, I'd like to maybe if we could just explore just that that issue a little bit, and then maybe just talk about some of the specifics around that. So maybe you could just give us a little sense of that. Yeah, well, I suppose to start off, I might just describe a little bit how alcohol yeah can harm a body. So basically, there are three main direct mechanisms by which alcohol use may cause harm to an individual. So first of all, um, you can be harmed by the toxic effects on your organs and tissues through cumulative alcohol use. So for example, this would be liver disease. And these type of conditions, they they take a while to develop and they usually arise after you know, a number of years of drinking. Secondly, um, intoxication or drinking to, you know, drinking very high amounts of alcohol on a single occasion. And this can lead to poisoning and an increased risk of injury. So, for example, somebody getting in a car and driving after drinking a lot of alcohol is at a much higher risk of injuring themselves. Um, And thirdly, alcohol can cause harm through dependence, whereby the drinker's self-control over his or her drinking behaviour is impaired and in Ireland, I suppose, given our high level of alcohol consumption, it's not a surprise that 10% of drinkers actually meet the criteria for alcohol dependence. And this would be, by global standards, very high. And the way alcohol causes harm to our health is actually quite complex because it's not determined by just the volume at the amount of alcohol we drink, but also by the patterns or the way in which we consume alcohol particularly binge drinking. And different types of alcohol patterns can lead to different types of problems. So you might have somebody who's drinking, um, drinking not quite binge level drinking levels of alcohol every day, but this sustained level of, of drinking can cause, to, cause problems over a prolonged period of time. So again, that would be your example of liver disease. Also, you have... Um, um, conditions such as cancer, which can be caused by not, you know, these would be people who may not even re- realize they're drinking alcohol in a harmful way because they're not getting drunk and they're not, it's not impacting on their, their daily life. So they can also be harming themselves without actually knowing it. And we see cancers can develop at relatively low levels of alcohol consumption. Right. Um, secondly, you can have um, somebody who may not drink very often and in Ireland actually compared to other countries our frequency of alcohol use is quite low so Irish people tend to drink less often in a week than other countries but when we do we often drink 
a lot or a high volume of alcohol. And then this type of binge drinking pattern of alcohol use can lead to accidents and poisonings and um, conditions such as acute pancreatitis. And I suppose as well, it's also important to note that um, even if you rarely binge drink, it can have an impact on you. So, for example, we know from our data that um, mortality in male drinkers who may consume less than two drinks per day, they're twice as likely to die of an alcohol-related cause if they also engage in occasional binge drinking. So it's important to look at the volume of alcohol use and the pattern of drinking. And I'll move on a little bit to the wholly and the partially attributable conditions. So I'll start with the wholly attributable health conditions. And these are conditions that are solely caused by alcohol. So that, what that means is that if the person did not drink, they would not develop that condition by any other means. So, for example, uh, alcoholic liver disease or liver cirrhosis. If a person does not drink, they will never develop this condition. And other types of wholly alcohol attributable conditions would be alcoholic pancreatitis and alcohol use disorders and the alcoholic liver disease. Moving on then to the partially attributable health conditions, and this is a little bit more complicated to try and understand. And these are conditions for which alcohol may be a contributory cause, but it's not the main cause of the condition or the sole cause. So a good example of this would be breast cancer. Even if everybody in the country stopped drinking alcohol, people would still develop breast cancer and other types of cancer that are alcohol-related. It's not the sole cause, But yeah. we yeah. do know that a proportion of these cancers can be attributed to alcohol. So given that, especially um, conditions like breast cancer, where a woman need only be drinking the equivalent of 20 grams of alcohol, which is just over a quarter of a bottle of wine a day, to put her at risk of developing breast cancer... It's very difficult to try and work out how many of our breast cancer cases are attributed to alcohol and how many are not. So this is why it's a lot more difficult to try and calculate because, you know, if when people turn up in hospitals with these conditions, they may not their alcohol use may not even be considered because they're not drinking in a problematic mm. way. But at the same time, it may be the case that their alcohol use has contributed to their condition. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the use of alcohol in their lives has obviously accentuated the risk, as you say. The relative risk is, is increased. Yes, it is increased, but they may not be aware of it because they're not drinking in a very, they're not binge drinking, they're not, it's not sure, impacting on sure. their daily life. They're not like what you would call your typical alcohol dependent person where it might be clearer to, um, you know, the, the, the health professionals that there is, that alcohol has played a part in this in this condition. Sure. So it's it's a lot trickier when we're trying then to pull together statistics in relation to these conditions. Yeah. If I if I can just move you move you to the, just for a second, if I could, just because I want to try and cover this area a little bit as well, is the alcohol related liver diseases, and there's some very startling figures in the report um, about alcohol related liver diseases. You know, significant increases in the period from 1995 up to the current date. Um, could you maybe just just touch on that a little bit? Well, when we go back, talk about liver disease, and this is one of our wholly alcohol attributable diseases in that you don't develop it without um, drinking alcohol. 
And when we look at our liver disease patterns, they're quite stark. And if we we've recorded hospitalizations in Ireland using the hype data since 1995. And in that period, our alcoholic liver diseases chart discharges have increased by 221% in that time, which is a huge increase. Also um, of concern as well is that of those who are admitted to hospital with liver disease, about 8% of these people actually die while they're in hospital. And what's somewhat worrying is that this percentage hasn't changed since 1995 so that there is a a lot of these people obviously when they're turning up to hospital and they're presenting to the health service they obviously have a very advanced stage of liver disease so it's not being detected in our health service in a timely way. Yeah you know that's a very interesting yeah it's a really really interesting point because in one of our previous podcasts you know we've had um, Dr John Ryan uh, the consultant hepatologist in uh, Beaumont and he speaks to that 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 exact issue you know the people are unfortunately presenting too late too you know at, at, at a stage where really it's a it's almost like an end of life um, management that, 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 that they're engaged in and of course the difficulty with that apart from the tragedy for people's lives is that the, the, the amount of uh, resources that are then subsequently devoted to that are obviously quite significant. Of course and another thing we found when we were analysing our hospital data is that the average length of stay has doubled since 1995 so the people who are being admitted to our hospitals now are actually a lot sicker than they used to be um, back in 1995, which is um, which is worrying, and it just goes to show that you know work needs to be done in trying to detect these people who are at risk or who may actually be harming their health, and be trying to engage with them before they get to the stage where they've developed um, liver disease or end stage liver disease. Sure. And if we could bring you back in at this point as well, because sadly we are at a point where you know, we're starting to com- having a conversation about people who are really unfortunately dying in relation to alcohol-related deaths and matters of that. And obviously there's a significant chapter in the report around alcohol-related mortality. Um, Could you maybe just talk us a little bit about, you know, um, how this data is collected and and what what is the data actually showing in the first instance, I I suppose, as well? Yeah, you're right, Eunan. It is a, a fairly significant, substantial size chapter on our mortality and morbidity due to alcohol. Um, and we use the NDRDI, which is the National Drug Related Deaths Index for collecting or for, for looking at our, our alcohol related deaths. And this is a, a census of drug and alcohol related deaths and of deaths among people who've used drugs um, and who, or who were alcohol dependent. Um, we know that it's an underestimate of the number of people who have died. We, we report that there's on average three people die every day due to alcohol. But as I say, we know that that's an underestimate, but we use the NDRDI because it's, it's actual people who have died as opposed to based on estimates from surveys or cohort studies. So we know that, um, this data is very, there's a very strict and rigorous process for collecting the data. It's um, We can stand over the data and we can also use uh, the data to look at any changes in policy. So if there's an impact, we can see that immediately from this NDRDI data. So the, there's a team of research nurses within the Health Research Board who carry out the data collection and they manually check the coroner's reports 
um, for details of all all deaths that have been reported to the coroner, and they they go through the records and pick out the deaths where alcohol or drugs have been involved. And this is then cross-checked with the general register office where deaths are recorded. It's also cross-referenced with HYPE, the Hospital Inpatient Inquiry Scheme, and with the Central Treatment List, which is a, a national methadone treatment register, and that's to ensure that there's no duplication. And so in the report, we look at 10 years worth of data from that database. And there was over 10,000, nearly 11,000 deaths during that period. And when we specifically look at the last, the most recent year we have data for, which is 2017, there was 1,094 deaths, which were completely alcohol attributable. And as I say, that um, is an average of three deaths per day which has been remained very stubbornly consistent over the last 10 years. You know, there's that that uh, average of three deaths per day has consistently been that way. Mm. Um, looking a little bit more closely at the deaths, it, there's still a 70, 30 percent kind of divide of, of more males to females. And of note as well is that it's two in every three deaths are less than 65 years of age which is, you know, it's a very concerning, it's, it, it, it highlights the level of premature mortality associated with alcohol. These are people who are still in the prime of their lives. They're, they can still, yes. they can still work as well. So, and that NDRDI collects information on the causes of deaths as well. And it's categorized into medical causes such as as Deirdre was pointing out about alcoholic uh, liver disease, it also looks at poisonings. And this is where the brain actually shuts down due to the sheer level or the quantity of alcohol consumed. And also at traumatic causes such as falls or choking or drownings or fires. Yeah, and that, that's a very interesting section in the report as well. Just, you know, th- things that people wouldn't necessarily think about, you know, but the fire deaths is a really interesting yes. point. So what in, the, in, in, that, in that context and recognising, as you say, that there is a, you know, it's, you know somewhat, something of a, an underestimation here. And there are other, other sources of data which would show that the mortality level in Ireland is is significantly higher. But so what what would be typically maybe not included, if you can, in, in like in the, in the context of what is, we know what is recorded, but so what potentially may not be recorded? Yeah, so Deirdre kind of touched on it there as well, where you have individuals who are, you know, they're regular drinkers, but they're not, they haven't attended treatment because of their, or their drinking. They, they probably wouldn't even be known to their GP for their alcohol use. You know, it hasn't come to to anyone's attention um, but they may have died we'll say due to a cancer um, and this wouldn't be captured on the NDRDI database so we wouldn't have those partially we'll say alcohol attributable conditions captured on the system so that's where I'm saying that we do know that we have an underestimate so there's it's vastly more and I think um, it could be it could be even double what we're reporting. Mm. Yeah, I think when you look at, um, certainly when you look at, you know, our, our near neighbours in Scotland, for example, we can see that there's a significantly higher level of, of, of deaths, uh, you know, for a similar type of pattern of use of alcohol. So in that context, I think there is potentially, uh, definitely a, an underestimate for sure. So um, if I can, if perhaps just to conclude, or maybe, maybe you know, what are your closing kind of at this point, you know, where, as I say, we're, we're very much in the middle of a, of a debate and a national conversation around alcohol. And we know that, you know, certainly through COVID times, um, 
uh, in particular, we've seen a high level of of of, of change of pattern and, and change of, of uh, use of alcohol from off trade to on trade and all sorts of uh, changes that have occurred there. So, what what would be your your concluding sort of overview commentary at this point, uh, having produced this? What I think is a really really super report. I think what this report clearly shows is that very little has changed, and the conclusions in the current report are almost identical to that in the 2016 report. We still have high levels of alcohol use and we still have high levels of problematic patterns of alcohol use. Our levels of alcohol-related hospitalizations remain high and haven't changed. Also, as Anne mentioned, um, over the past 10 years, our alcohol-related deaths have remained stubbornly high. So really, nothing has changed in terms of our alcohol harm indicators. And this would indicate that if we want to reduce alcohol-related harm in Ireland, we need to implement evidence-based policies to reduce the level of alcohol harm we experience here in Ireland. Hmm. Well, obviously, in that context, we do have uh, some outstanding features that have to be implemented in relation to public policy. And obviously, hopefully see some of that change maybe between now and the next next uh, r- overview when when it's published in, in five years time and have you any particular observations that you'd like to conclude on and just to say as well that obviously we didn't have time to touch on everything today but you know the report goes into as much detail as we can on how alcohol really touches so many people's lives. We have, you know, there's suicide data in there, the self-harm data, how it is a key feature in domestic violence and sexual assault, how there's a 7,000 at least people have to attend treatment for their alcohol misuse. And we have a little bit of data about travellers and we also have information about um, people who have to attend psychiatric treatment um, due to their alcohol misuse. So as I say, alcohol, it, it, it doesn't have any boundaries in terms of gender or age and, and um, the public health alcohol is addressing a lot of that. Very good. Well, that's about all the time we have today. I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Deirdre Mongan and Anne Doyle. If you'd like to learn more about the HRB Alcohol Overview, you can download a copy of the report from their website at hrb.ie and just click on Publications. And you can learn more about Alcohol Action on our site at alcoholireland.ie or follow us at Alcohol Ireland across all social media platforms. Next time on The Alcohol File, we'll be taking our first look at the provision of treatment services for harmful and dependent drinkers in Ireland. But for now, thank you for listening today and until the next time, stay safe.